Well, I want to welcome everyone to Emmanuel's Greenwood campus. If you're watching over at Banta, we, I want to say welcome to you as well. If you're watching online or through our podcast, I want to welcome you. Um, excited about today's uh, service, about today's talk, because we're starting a brand new series today called The Power of Questions. And it's, if you're a first-time guest with us here today, it's a great time for you to be here because we're getting, to, you know, we're getting into about four weeks of, of similar teachings that are all kind of build on each other and, and be connected to each other. So we want to welcome you here. The reason you were invited today is because someone loves you, someone cares about you. They've maybe even written your name down on a sidewall or, or the stage here uh, because they're hoping that, uh, that, that God will touch your life in, in the same way that he has touched theirs uh, through this church. And so if you're a first-time guest with us here today, we want to welcome you. We hope your experience thus far has been a good one. Uh, So the power of questions, the power of questions. I love a good question. I really do. Um, I don't know why. It's just, it's just something I've, I've developed over time, a a love for, for penetrating questions. And, and, um, you know, a, a good question like, where are you going to be in your life five years from now? I love that question. Anybody else? like that question? I don't know if it's just I'm an optimistic person. I, I love to ponder that question. I don't know where I'm going to be in five years. That's so exciting. And then that causes you to start to dream and think a little bit. And, uh, you know, questions, questions can really be a powerful tool in our, our life to advance our lives. Uh, a lot of questions can change our lives. Like, you know, is there a God? That's a powerful question question all of us have to answer, right, at some point. A lot of people have answered no. They've become atheists or agnostic. I don't know, right? Some people have said, yes, I do believe there is a God. Then you've got to answer another question. Well, what's he like? Is he mean? Does he hate me? Is he angry? Or is he filled with love? Compassionate? Will he forgive me? Right? One question leads to another, and then you start to answer these different questions, and before you know it, you can, you can really have your life changed by a really good question. Why do I love questions? Why are questions so powerful? There's two reasons in your notes there. The first one is that a, a great question reveals value. A great question actually is more of a statement. Have you ever noticed that? You know, my wife and I are raising three children. I now have a 14-year-old. I cannot believe it. He's taller than my wife. He's almost six feet tall. I, I cannot believe it. I can still pound him into the ground, and I show him that. In fact, I did last night. Just took him right to the ground. I just, you have to do that, right? Because one day, one day, I won't be able to. <laughs> but for now, I can. But, but, you know, when you ask your kids questions, they pick up on what is important to you. You agree with this? Here's a lot of the questions we ask. Have you brushed your teeth? Have you brushed your teeth? Have you brushed your teeth? Did you brush your teeth today? Have you made your bed? Have you cleaned your room? You're right, right? We ask these questions. Have you done your homework? I mean, almost every single day. Before you know it, the kids pick up what's important to who? To mom and dad, because a question reveals value. In fact, every question is, is, is a statement of value, right? A lot of times I'll, I'll uh, not a lot of times, but sometimes I'll miss uh, one of my kids' games, and my first question is, and it probably shouldn't be this question, but my first question is, how many points did you score? <laughs> And so my, my son has realized, my sons have realized that what's important to dad is, is offense. And I really should be asking the question, how many, how many assists did you have? That would be a better question, right? More of an unselfish question. But questions reveal value. Another reason I love questions is because questions help you to think differently. Oh, I love this. A really good question can, can cause you to press pause. 
and, and actually think to yourself, you know, well, I, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't thought about that. That's a great question. I've never, th- I've never thought even to answer that question. And then before you know it, your thinking goes in a different direction. And before you know it, your life is going in a different direction because your thinking has gone in a different direction. I'm telling you, here, I'm telling you today that if you want your life to change, you first must change the way you think. Do you agree with this? The Apostle Paul said it in Romans chapter 12. He says, we're transformed by the renewing of our thoughts, by the way we think. And a great question can get you to think differently about all the different areas of your life, every single area of your life, and can cause you to actually advance in those areas. And so I love questions because they reveal values and they get you to think differently, and that is really the secret to changing our lives. This series came from a podcast I was listening to on leadership a couple of months ago. It was a podcast done by Andy Stanley, who is the senior pastor of North Point Community Church in Alpharetta, Georgia. And he was talking to uh, a senior pastor named Bill Hybels, who is a senior pastor of Willow Creek Community Church in Chicago, small church, you know, 25,000 or so. And, uh, and they were talking about leadership and, and, the, and, and making decisions in the context of, of a church. And, 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 he, and basically, Andy asked him, he said, Bill, how do you make decisions when, in leadership? Like, what grid do you use? And Bill shot back and said very simply, well, the, the, I use this grid. I use this question as a grid. He said, what would a great leader do? I ask myself that question when I'm faced with a difficult decision. I say, what would a great leader do? And then Hybels went on to explain that why this question helps him make great decisions or better decisions. He says, because what that question does is it, it helps you to rise above the emotion of the situation. <laughs> And there are very few, if any at all, leadership decisions that are not charged with emotion. (laughs) Have you ever noticed that? Is there anybody here who leads an organization or is in some type of leadership position? Every decision you make is charged with emotion. But when you ask the question, what would a great leader do? Well, that helps you to rise above the circumstances and rise above the emotions that are tied up in the circumstances. And then you can begin to see clearly above the the fog and then you could make a really good decision. In fact, Heibels went on to say, when you see a leader make a really bad decision, you don't ask the question, you know, what were they thinking? You ask the question, what were they feeling? (laughs) Because they were feeling fear, they were afraid, so they made the wrong decision, right? Because the emotions tend to cloud our thinking. This is why we make really bad decisions in relationships, because we fall, we think we fall in what? In love, and so we get stupid, don't we? We end up dating the wrong person, why? Because we're, we think we're in love. And then we end up marrying the wrong person, why? Because we think we're in love, right? Because we're stupid. Because the emotions fog our thinking and we don't think clearly, right? And so I've started to ask this question in my own life as the leader of this church, and of course I lead in a plurality, plurality of leaders with the elders and we lead together and every big decision we make, we make in team. But I've started to ask myself this question, you know, what would a great leader do in this scenario? And I've noticed something. I've noticed that it's helping me to rise above the emotions that are tied up in the situation. And I'm able to make a, or at least see clearly to be able to make a better decision for our church. So I sat down and I thought, well, if it works in leadership, it should be able to work in every other area of my life. I mean, if I ask myself, you know, what would a great parent do? I should should be able to help me be a better dad. Or what would a great husband do? Like, should be able to help me be a better husband. Or or what would a great friend do? Or what would a great whatever do? So I started to play with that, and that's kind of where this series came from. The power of questions. Oh, 
get you to, they reveal values, get you to think differently about your life. They help you make better decisions in our lives. And so what I wanna do today is look at a question that I think will apply to all of us because we all live within the context of relationships. Does anybody live in isolation? Anybody live on the side of a mountain? All by yourself? No cell phone, no television, right? Anybody? No, we're like 99.99% of human beings live our lives within the context of relationships. So it's worth asking the question, what would a great friend do? Because you have friendships, you have people in your life, and you live in the context of relationships. It's, it's been said that the quality of your relationships really does determine the quality of your life. See, some of you have got a lot of broken relationships, and so your life is filled with pain and hurt and anxiety and fear and worry because you've got a lot of broken relationships in your life. But some of you have really healthy relationships, and so the quality of your life is very good. Is this accurate? Am I accurate in saying that? Absolutely. And so it's worth pausing and saying, okay, well, if questions really do work and they help you, you know, advance in your life, it's great, it's, it's so wise to ask this question in the context of relationships, what would a great friend do? Now, before we talk about what a great friend would do, we cannot move any further without talking about some great friendships. Wouldn't that be fun? Check out these guys right here. Anybody remember these guys? Yeah, these guys didn't start out so well. In fact, we did, we did, a, we did a series called Walls last, last couple weeks last month, and, and we talked about jealousy, the wall of jealousy. They had that wall, because remember what happened? Buzz came into town, and Woody was, you know, the best toy, the boy's little, you know, his favorite toy. I can't remember the boy's name. <laughs> Some of you know the movie, Andy. And, and, and then Buzz comes on the scene, and there's jealousy there, and they've got to go through this whole ordeal, and then in the end, they finally become best buds and friends, and they kind of save each other and all that stuff. What about this one right here, this friendship? <laughs> now, some of, you, some of you, you've only seen Dumb and Dumber 2, okay? And, and that's a shame, because that's not even close to the quality of a movie that Dumb and Dumber 1 was. Some of you need, in fact, in fact, this is what your pastor's telling you. Tonight, you need to go home and rent Dumb and Dumber 1. Be a very spiritual experience for you. Now, um, no, I'm just joking. No, I'm just joking. Uh, this one I love. This, these guys, these guys, uh, Larry and, and Magic Bird. Uh, they actually were enemies. Not not real enemies, but sort of when they were playing together, they just they just uh, they went after each other and they were competitors and they and they were not friends. But then, you know, age has a way of you know making some of that stuff go away. And so, but today they're actually really good friends. And they put all that stuff to rest and they really love each other. And, and of course, we can't talk about great friendships without talking about these guys right here. Yeah, yeah. All right. See, that just warms your heart, doesn't it? You, you go back, first time you saw the movie or whatever, and great friendships. They're hard to come by, aren't they? Isn't friendship hard? It, isn't friendship difficult because you and I, we're selfish and, at times? Isn't that, isn't that why it's hard to find a great friend? Isn't that why it's hard to be a great friend? You're a jerk and I'm a jerk. Seriously, think about it. Isn't that why it's difficult? Because we got issues inside, going on inside, whether it's ego or pride or jealousy or whatever, the selfishness. It makes it really difficult to be a good friend or to have a great friend because of the stuff going on inside of us today. I want to ask a question today that's going to help us maybe propel us beyond that. You know, C.S. Lewis was talking about friendship, and I, I love this quote. He said this. He said, friendship is unnecessary like philosophy or art. All he means there is like you can live without it. Like, you need food and water and sleep to live, right? But there's some other stuff that makes life 
you know, that adds value to life. He says it's not necessary. It's, it's, it has no survival value. Rather, it ha- it's one of those things that gives value to survival. I mean, it's one thing to look at a sunset, by your, a sunset by yourself and marvel at it, but it's another thing to share it with a friend. It's another thing to go to a movie by yourself and enjoy the movie by yourself, and it's another thing to go with a buddy or two or a girlfriend or whatever, right? It's one thing to take a walk alone, that's fine, and then it's another thing to take a walk with a friend. This is why guys say, hey, you wanna come over and watch the game. It's one thing to watch the game by yourself, it's another thing to watch the game with a couple of, couple of friends. We don't need friendship necessarily, but friendship does make life richer. It adds value to our experience here on earth, much the way philosophy does or art or some other things. But the Bible actually takes it a step further. I believe the Bible actually argues that, that friendship is necessary for survival. Some of you are familiar with this passage. I want to work through it really quick. It's in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, it's starting in verse 9. Listen to what Solomon says. He's, Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. In other words, you can go further faster if you got one or two really close friends in your life. Isn't that interesting? He continues. He says this, if one person falls, the other can reach out and help, but someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Interesting. He says, look, this is is part of survival. You can actually get help from a friend who loves you and cares for you when you fall. They can actually reach down into the pit and help you back up. Listen to what he says next. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm, but how can one, one be warm alone? Now today we would say, well, go buy an electric blanket. And of course, we would be right. But they didn't have those back then. And some of you don't have access to, I don't know, maybe not have access to electric blankets. Anyway, the point is that, uh, that, that two, you know, two people get together, they can make some warmth. And then this last one I want you to see is so important. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. And watch this, three are even better for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. I have a triple braided cord right here. And, and the reality is, is that there's no way I can pull this apart. There's just no, I don't have enough strength. And what Solomon is saying here is that when you have one or two really good friends, when life is tearing at you and pulling at you, does that happen to anybody? Anybody have a friend with cancer? Anybody struggling financially? Anybody have a a rebellious child of some sort or some type of problem going on right now that's just wearing you out? I have a friend whose husband just came off chemo. It's It's just the way it is at this point. Now it's just keeping him comfortable. Life has a way of of just tearing at you. And and all all Solomon is saying is, listen, guess what happens? When you have one or two really close friends in your life, your life is stronger. You can get through difficulty easier. When you're by yourself, mm, watch out. It's tough. It's a tough road. Friendship. You know, Ben Franklin, it was was recorded at the signing of the Declaration of Independence. It was recorded that Ben Franklin said this, We must indeed all hang together, or most assuredly, we shall all hang separately. He was talking about the colonies. He said, guys, we gotta stay together, because if we don't stay together, if we're not unified, we're gonna all hang. And he was talking about being being hanged for rebelling against Britain. You know, we don't really understand friendship anymore, at least I don't think, because our culture, especially the younger generation, even younger than the millennials, okay, you know, the middle school, high school students, 
We think friendship is about having um, Facebook friends. Oh, I've got 2,000 Facebook friends. No, you don't. You, you don't have that many friends. It's not, that's not true. Those are not your friends. Come on. You need somebody to preach truth to you today. Don't, don't think that you got that many. They're not your friends. You don't even know those people. Right? Oh, I've got so many followers on Twitter. They're my friends. No, they're not. They're not going to reach a hand down into the pit and help you out. Your Facebook followers are not going to help you succeed. Right? We've got a warped uh, vision of, of friendship today because of all the social media things going on. So I think Solomon was prophetic when he said these words in Proverbs chapter uh, 18. He said, a man of many companions may come to ruin. Another translation, he who has a lot of Facebook followers is still going to die, okay? But, but, on the other hand, there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. These two Hebrew words are, are close, but they're different. And, and, and God could have spoken through Solomon and used the same word, but he changed the word. This word has to do with a person who's maybe an acquaintance, somebody that you would know and recognize their face in the crowd. But they're not jumping down into the pit with you to pull you out when you have fallen. But this word here for friend, this word is one who loves deeply. You see the difference? You can have a lot of acquaintances and followers on Facebook or Twitter or whatever, but that doesn't mean your life's going to go well. But if you have one or two people who love you deeply, oh, that's what makes life richer. That's essential to survival in our lives. It's worth asking the question, what would a great friend do? Because you need strength in this life. You need support in this life. You need protection in this life. Do you agree with me? Say amen if you agree with me. Amen. See, that helps. That helps the preacher when you agree with him. <laughs> you can disagree with me too. Just send me an email tomorrow. That's fine. <laughs> so let's get into this question. What would a great friend do? For all you note takers out there, we're going to jump into some notes here real quick. A great friend would first of all sacrifice for you. When we ask the question, what would a great friend do? A great friend would sacrifice for you. I want to talk about the story of Jonathan and David. I'm gonna, we've been talking about it. We talked about it last, in the last series a little bit when we talked about jealousy and how that was a wall that needed to be uh, blown up in our lives with love. But the story, the, the story involves three people, more than that, but there's Saul, who's the king of Israel, there's David, who God told you know, him he was going to be the next king and replace Saul, and then there's Jonathan, Saul's son. In chapter 17 of 1 Samuel, David kills Goliath. Great chapter, love it, read it to your kids. It's just a fascinating chapter. Goliath's nine feet tall, David slings the rock, right in his head, kills him, it's awesome, chops his head off. It's got blood, it's got excitement, it's got everything you need in the story, right? Right after David kills Goliath, Saul tells Abner, his commander, go get David, I want to talk to him. And so they go get him, and David's still got Saul's head in his hand, it's just hanging there. It says that. And he's talking to Saul with Goliath's head in his hand. And so Saul is impressed with this young kid. He's this brave, bold, courageous, you know, he was like a teenager at that time. And so he invites him into his house, and he basically takes him in as his own son. Well, in chapter 18, verse 1, I want you to see what Jonathan's response to David here. Watch this. The soul of Jonathan, Saul's son, was knit together or knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Wow. That sounds like Proverbs 18, 24. There's one who has a lot of companions, but his, his life comes to ruin. But then there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother, one who loves deeply. 
In verse three, watch this. It says that Jonathan made a covenant or a sort of an arrangement and promise with David because he loved him as his own soul. In verse four, look what this looks like. And Jonathan stripped himself of his robe that was around him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. This is so significant. Hey, hang with me for a second here. This is fascinating stuff. Jonathan was supposed to be the next king. He was Saul's son. And here he is taking off his robe, taking off his belt, taking off his sword, taking off all this stuff, and he's giving it to David, and, and, and that is the symbolic way of saying, I will let you be the next king. I know it's rightfully mine. I know I'm, I'm in line to be the next king, but I'm gonna sacrifice my rights to be the next king for you. See, Jonathan had seen everything that had just went down with Goliath, and he said, you know, this is God's man. I'm not supposed to be the next king. This is David's position, and he gave it to him. See, that's what a great friend does. A great friend sacrifices for you. Do you have a friend who would do that for you? Here's another question. Would you do that for your friend? It would make you a great friend if you were willing to sacrifice for that friend. There was a a soldier back in 2006, December 14, 2006, his name was Russ McGinnis. Ross McGinnis, sorry. I think I have a picture of him. 19 years old, he's, he's the gunman on top of his Humvee in Iraq, and he's got four buddies down in the Humvee, and he's just going down the road, fighting against the insurgency, and you know, all of a sudden, one, a grenade comes off a roof and goes right down into the Humvee. Ross has about a split second to, to, to decide what he's gonna do. He's on top, he's on the roof of the Humvee, behind his gun. He screams, grenade, there's four guys down in. And he jumps down into the Humvee on top of the grenade, smothering it with his stomach, and it explodes. It kills him. And his four guys, his four bodies inside the Humvee, lived. President Bush awarded his, he, was, he's, he's, he died, but he award, President Bush awarded his parents the Medal of Honor for his sacrifice. One of his buddies that was in the Humvee that day, Cedric Thomas, said this. He had time to jump out of the truck. He had time to jump out of the truck. He did not. He is a hero. He is just an awesome guy. He had time to jump out of the truck. He jumped into the truck, onto the grenade, and his buddies lived. Oh, wow. See, what Jonathan did was he gave his sword, and he gave his robe, and he gave his belt, and he gave it to David, and he said, I know I'm supposed to be the next king, but I'm going to prefer you over myself. His father, I got a quote from his father, Ross's father, said this, I know medals, were never, I know medals never crossed his mind. This is uh, Ross's dad. He was all about friendship and relationships. He just took that to the ultimate level this time. Wow, see a great friend, when you ask the question, what, was a, what would a great friend do? A great friend would sacrifice. What does this look like in my life and your life? Well, it can look like a lot of things. Probably won't look like you jumping on a grenade, so we can lighten up really quick. Can we all lighten up? Because all you look really serious right now and somber. <laughs> it's probably gonna take on a little bit of a lighter, you know, thing, things like, you know, 
telling the truth to your friend? See, there's a sacrifice there. What do you have to sacrifice to tell your best friend the truth? Peace? Anybody? Peace? Hey, I gotta tell you the truth. You don't look good in that. <laughs> You're about to lose some peace, which is why we don't say that a lot, ladies. Right? We wanna keep the peace. But that's not what great friends do. They tell the truth. Of course, they speak it in what? Love, correct? It looks like you tell the truth when the truth needs to be said. It looks like you change your schedule. Last Saturday after the service, I was preaching like my guts out and trying to you know, give it my all. And after the service, my wife says, do you wanna go to Franklin to the arts, to the art craft theater and watch um, Harry Potter? And I'm thinking, okay, I'm calculating out. 15 minutes to Franklin, two and a half hour movie. It's already gonna be eight o'clock. What time does that put me home? I gotta preach in the morning twice. Thinking about who? Who am I thinking about? See, this is why it's hard to be a great friend, because you're selfish and so am I. My wife wants to go to the art craft. She's never been there. The next day's her birthday, right? She's asking her best friend to take her to the art craft with three children. And what am I thinking? You are nuts, woman. I've just quickly calculated that in my mind. That puts us home at 11. I miscalculated because when we got there, I didn't know about the 45-minute little show they do before the movie. Are you kidding me? 45 minutes of nonsense. They, they, I can't even tell you all the things that they did. It was psycho. Then they showed a Looney Tunes cartoon for five more minutes. Before the two-and-a-half-hour movie. Listen, I went, I sacrificed, come on, come on. But here, it doesn't count. Here's why it doesn't count, because I'm a jerk. I'm just being honest with you. Like in heaven, I get no credit for that, because I didn't do it with the right attitude. I shouldn't even have shared that example with you. Don't follow my example. But it looks like you tell the truth. It looks like you change your calendar around for your best friends. It looks like it, look, it, it takes on, this sacrifice takes on a different... Different, different, you know, ideas. It's not just jumping on a grenade or giving the kingdom away to somebody else. Those are big ideas. But on an everyday nitty-gritty grind, it's just preferring that other person before yourself. It's sacrificing your wants for theirs. Hey, you want to have a great marriage? Just do that. Just do that. Just sacrifice your wants and desires and preferences for your spouse. Oh, my gosh. You will get this back and forth love thing going on that just leads to all kinds of goodness. So you ask the question, what would a great friend do? They'd sacrifice. Let's look at the next one. A great friend would come through. They're, they're going to come through. They're going to execute for you. You can count on them. They're going to be available. They're going to be dependable. You can ask them to do something. They're going to do it for you. That's what a great friend would do. As the story goes, I'll tell you the real, real quick version of the story here. Uh, after Jonathan and David make this covenant of friendship, David goes out, and because he killed Goliath, Saul elevates him as one of the top soldiers in the army, and he goes out and he starts to lead all these battles against the Philistines, and he has great success, and, and when he comes back, you know, into town, everybody's praising him and adoring him, and Saul gets jealous, and so his, his, his jealousy leads to anger, and his anger leads, leads to resentment and then hatred, and then he tries to kill David with his own javelin. He tries to just nail him to the wall, and so obviously, you know, that's confusing to David, and so he kind of 
He's kind of like afraid for his life. And then Saul demands that he gets out of his presence. So he kind of banishes David and says, look, just go out and fight wars. So he does that. But again, he's going out and he's going to be successful. And he was successful in fighting all these different battles. And then one day, uh, chapter 19, uh, uh, Saul comes in and he tells his, his grand plan to kill David. He gets Jonathan involved. He doesn't realize that Jonathan and David have become good friends. So he gets his whole team together and says, here's what we're gonna do, we're gonna kill David, I hate him, I, the Lord is with him, he's gonna take my position, he's jealous, right? And so he, he comes up with this big plan and then Jonathan says, Jonathan goes to David and says, look, my dad's after you, you need to get out of here. So David flees. But in the meantime, Jonathan goes back to Saul and he says, look, why do you wanna kill this guy? He just killed Goliath for you. He, he won a huge victory for Israel. Why are you chasing him? He, he loves you, he wants to honor you. This is not the guy you wanna be chasing. And so Saul says, you're right, you're right, you're right. What am I thinking? I'm absolutely out of my mind. And he, and he, kinda, he kinda takes back and he, and he may, actually makes a covenant, a promise to his son, Jonathan, and says, all right, I will never go after David again. Well, fast forward a little bit of time. David comes back home and they start to live like a family again. Weird, weird situation, not much of a family. But then as David continued to be successful, the jealousy came back and Saul, the Bible says, a, a, a spirit came up upon him of anger, of jealousy, and he tried to kill him again. This time David runs for his life. He gets out of town. He's like, I'm convinced my, that, that, that Saul wants to kill me. And so Jonathan finds him out there and he says, what, what's going on? Tell me, tell me what the deal is. And, and so David says to Jonathan, look, your dad wants to kill me. That's so clear. He threw his javelin at me twice. And so Jonathan says, no, that's not true. My dad made a promise. He said he would never come after you. And, and, and David looks at him and says, look, look, come on. Your dad knows we're best friends. And therefore, he's not going to tell you his new plan. And in chapter 20, verse 4, I want you to hear the next words that come out of his mouth come out of Jonathan's mouth. Okay, tell me what I can do to help you. Just lay it on me. This, what can I do for you? I will do it. Don't you love a best friend who comes to you in your time of need and says, what is it? Because whatever it is that you need, I will do it. They're available, they're there for you. In your, in your greatest time of need. And so David simply says, look, here's the deal. In the next couple of days, there's, a, there's gonna be a festival going on called the New Moon Festival. I usually go to it. I'm there. I'm right next to your dad all the time. I'm not gonna go this time. You watch your dad's response. And if, if he's ticked off on the second day, if he goes into a rage the second day, then you'll know that he wants to kill me. Sure enough, the second day comes. First day, Saul's fine. Second day, Saul loses it. Goes crazy. Where's David? I can't believe you let him go, blah, 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 blah. Listen to what Jonathan does in verse 33. Watch this. But why should, you, why should he be put to death? Jonathan asked his father, why, what has he done? Then Saul hurled his spear at Jonathan, intending to kill his very own son. He lost his mind. What does this tell us about Jonathan? He was willing to step up and actually put himself in harm's way for his best friend, David. See, that's what best friends do. That's what a great friend does. They step up and they defend you and they're willing to put themselves in harm's way for you. And sure enough, he gets the message. He's like, look, now I know my dad wants to kill you because he's throwing his spear at me. He's not only willing to kill David, he's willing to kill his own son. He goes out, he finds David, he relays the message to him and David knows he needs to run for his life and he gets out of there. 
What, what, what did Jonathan do there? Here, here's what he did. It's real simple. He just came through. He did what David asked him to do. And, and that's what great friends do. Do you come through for your friends? Like when they need you most, are you there? Do you execute for them? Listen, do they execute for you? Do they, do they come through for you when you need them most? See, I can't do that for a lot of people. I'm the pastor of this church. We've got a lot of people that come here. I wish I could look at you and say, hey, what is it that you need me to do? I, I, I honestly wish I could do that for every single one of you. Like, what, like in your time of need, what is it that you want me to do? I can't, I can't even make that statement to you. In fact, I regularly disappoint people when they come down front and they're like, we're in love, would you marry us? And I say, no. Like, I can't, even, I can't even say yes to people who want me to marry them. I regularly disappoint people. In fact, I'm convinced that leadership is disappointing people at a, at a rate that they can, they can handle. <laughs> because I can't, do, I can't do that. And neither can you. You cannot look at a thousand people or, 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 or all your Facebook followers and say, what? can I do for you? Because whatever it is, I'm going to do it. You can't do that, but you can do it for one. Can you do it for two? Perhaps. Maybe three, right? And that's what a great friend will do, and that's what you should do for that one person or that two people that you'd be willing to do almost anything for and then come through for them. So you can't have a thousand best friends. I'm convinced you can't even have more than two, because you can't come through the way you need to for them. Let's look at number three. What does a great friend do? A great friend, number three, will provide encouragement for you. Will provide encouragement for you. David's out there running for his life. Saul's on his tail. Jonathan finds him, right? Saul has this whole army searching for David, wants to kill him. Look what happens in uh, 1 Samuel. Jonathan went out to find David, and he encouraged him to stay strong in his what? Faith in God. This isn't just general, hey, hang in there, you're going to make it, you're a great guy, you're a great girl, come on, and tomorrow's another day. That's, this is not that type of encouragement. This encouragement is, look, you need to stay strong in your faith in God. See, that's what a great friend does. A great friend says, God is for you, you need to remember what God has said about you, a great friend will look at you when you're struggling with issues of identity and say, did you know in 1 John chapter 3 it says that you are a child of God? That you are his son and you are his daughter? He loves you? A great friend will take you to Romans chapter 8 when you're struggling with maybe thinking that you're going to get defeated and say, do you know that you're more than a conqueror through him who loves you? That's what a great friend will do. A great friend will take you to, to Proverbs chapter 3 verse 5 and 6 when, you're, when your faith is struggling and say, do you know that you can trust in the Lord with all your heart? Did you know that? that because he is your rock and you can, he, he loves you and he's gonna do what's right by you. See, a great friend doesn't just encourage you generally. I mean, that's a positive thing. But a great friend will take you back to who God is and what God has said. Do you agree with this? Do you have any great friends in your life that in your time of need will take you back to God and say, do you, do you, do you understand that you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength? Do you understand that? That he loves you and he's got a plan for your life? That's what a great friend would do, and that's what Jonathan did to David, because in this scenario right here, God had told David he was gonna be the next king. He told him it was going to happen, 
but in the circumstances, David was being chased down by Saul's army. And isn't it, isn't it normal or isn't it human to, to, to maybe question the things that you have heard God say to you before? I mean, you know God's for you and you, and you know God's maybe, maybe gonna help you or whatever, and you know he's got a plan for your life, but the immediate circumstances look like the whole world is coming down on you. And you begin to doubt and you begin to fear. Has that ever happened to you? It's happened to me quite some many times. Like I know I have a calling on my life to build a church, and, but sometimes the circumstances right in front of me look like this isn't going to work out. You ever been there? And then somebody comes alongside and says, hey, 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 remember what Jesus said. Remember what you told me, God told you about building this church. Remember, remember. and a great friend takes you back to God and encourages you to stay strong in your faith. Here's my challenge to you today. The scriptures say that a threefold cord is not quickly broken. That, that friends will strengthen your life. My challenge to you today is to be a Jonathan to somebody. Be a Jonathan. Be, a, be that friend who, who, who encourages another person back to God in their faith. Be that person who comes through in the difficult times when your friend needs you the most. And be that friend who sacrifices what's good for you for what's good for your friend. Is that fair? Is that a good challenge? You think you can do that? You can't do it for everybody, but you could certainly do it for one. And we get to practice this right away because some of you are married, so you get to go home and practice this on your spouse. <laughs> So my homework for you, and I do love homework, it's, it's, it's essential that we, that we have homework. Otherwise, you know, you forget things and you don't put it into practice and then what's, what's the point anyway, right? My homework for you is to go home and try to, try to take these three ideas of what a great friend would do and apply it to your friendships. Maybe just do one. And this week, try to sacrifice, come through, and encourage that friend in your life in their faith in God. Just see what happens. Be that person, right? And then try to find a Jonathan in your life who will do that for you as well. Today I wanna to close with a question from Jesus. That's always a good, good idea. He posed this question in the Gospels that's recorded in several different places, but he said this, it's a great question. He said, and what do you do, or what does it benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? What does it profit if a man should gain the whole world, like all the money and all the power and all the fame? Like, what does it profit if you gain everything that this world has to offer, but in the end, you lose, your, you lose what's on the inside? And I believe there was an, an eternal piece to this, this question. Meaning that if I live my whole life, or if you live your whole life trying to accumulate things and, and, and that this world has to offer and live in the, the, according to the value systems of, the, of this world, but your soul is lost, what, is it, what does it matter? Because your soul goes on to live where? Either one of two places. With God or without God. See, your soul is eternal. You are an eternal being. You have to understand that. You gotta deal with this soul because it's gonna go somewhere. It's gonna live forever. You're not just gonna go six feet under and then, no, no, then that's it, you're over. That's annihilation, the Bible doesn't teach that. 
You are an eternal being. What does it profit if you gain everything in the world, but your soul goes on to live eternally separated from God? That would be such a tragedy. And so Jesus comes and he says, it didn't have to be that way. Like, in fact, I sacrificed my life so that your soul could live eternally with me. Jesus actually said about his own life, there's no greater way to reveal love or to show love than, than when a person lays down his life for his friends, than when, when a Russ McGinnis dives on a grenade so his buddies could live. Like there's no greater picture of love than for a person to lay down his life for his friends. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ did on the cross for you and me. He sacrificed his life so that we could have eternal life so that our soul would go on and live eternally with God. There's some of you here today, you need to make sure it's well with your soul. You need to make sure that, that your soul, upon death, will go on to live eternally with God. You say, how do you do that? Put your faith in Christ. Put your faith in the one who laid his life down for you at the cross. And when you do that, your sins are washed away and you receive eternal life and you become his child and it is well with your soul. If you'd like to do that right now, I'm gonna invite you to close your eyes and bow your head. I'm gonna invite you to pray a simple prayer of faith, reaching out to God, reaching out to Christ for the forgiveness of sins. He asked this question, what does it benefit a person if they gain the whole world but lose their soul? Right now, you're taking care of your soul by putting your faith in Christ. Just say this to him right now, he's listening. Dear Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you gave it all so that I could be forgiven. Please wash me, cleanse me of my sin, and make me your child. Help me to honor you and please you with the rest of my time here on earth. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, if you just prayed that simple prayer of faith, our church would love, love, love to put a gift in your hand. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's a one-year Bible. And the reason we want to do that, there's tables back here to my right and to my left. Um, the reason we want to do that is because we believe with all of our heart the Bible is not just any ordinary book but that it was inspired by God, and that as you read these passages that go along with today's date, it's broken down in a little five-minute readings, that as you take those into your mind and take them into your heart, as you meditate on them and even memorize certain passages of them, that God will speak to you and guide you and direct you in your life and help you grow in your faith. Okay, so can we give God glory for what he's done today? As you walk out of here today, be a Jonathan. Just go, just go after it. Ask yourself the question, what would a great friend do? And then when you get that answer, man, go and do that and see what happens. You're going to be talking about this in your small groups this week, uh, dissecting it, unfolding it, applying it. My hope is that you'll be in a group or get in a group and talk about this stuff. And that's where the real change happens. So let's go ahead and pray. God, thank you so much for the power of questions. You use them, Jesus. You actually would use them to get us to think differently, to get us to change, to get us to move in a direction that you wanted us to move. And so thank you, God, that tonight we looked at a, a question about friendships. 
We all live in the context of relationships and life is always better together when we have strong friendships. Help us to apply some of these principles we learned from David and Jonathan today. And may we give you all the glory and all the honor. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Hey, if you prayed to receive Christ, please go grab a Bible right now back there. There's friends, they'll put one right in your hand. God bless you, and we will see you next week.